All right, we're going to go ahead and change things up a little bit. Um, first off, I want to start with last week we started with a new practice that we're going to start each week. So last week I asked the question, when did you feel most alive this week? And that's a really good question because, as I mentioned, it's called appreciative inquiry. So when you ask somebody how they're doing, we tend to just focus on the negative thing. It's like, well, this happened. For instance, like the AC in our car went out after we had just had it repaired for something else. Uh, so it's like, so that kind of like, you know, was a, a bummer this week. And that's like the first thing that I think of. Um, so appreciative inquiry is like, what good thing happened? But you have to be careful because sometimes you can just only focus on the positive or try to silver line something to sugarcoat it. So it's important to make space for negative things as well. So to start off with, um, I want to ask these two questions. So the first one is, what took life this week? So just take a minute and think about something that just drained you. It could be a conversation with somebody where you just walked away and you're like, every time I talk to that person, I just feel a little less alive. You know, like five minutes just got shaved off the end of my life after talking with that person. Or it could have just been like automotive, automotive trouble or something at work that happened or, you know, just a physical injury. Uh, but just think for a minute, something that just you felt kind of took life from you this week. Does anybody have anything they want to share about this? It's a little bit more personal, so I wanted to give you the option of maybe not saying it out loud. But if there was something you just wanted to share, sometimes it's good to just, you know, complain with friends. Like, this happened. It sucked. I hated it. And it just makes it a little less crappy. That's exhausting. That's <laughs> the way the world works sometimes. Yeah, that's hard though. It's hard sometimes when things like jobs where like, I had to work. Like I have bills or I have whatever it is. It wasn't enjoyable, but I did it, you know. Anything else? Any others? Like I said, if you didn't want to share on this one, the next one, I do need some sharing. But Okay, so now I'll take a moment, think about what gave you life this week? And what's interesting in Luke is it sometimes can be the both. You know, that's why the movie Inside Out is so brilliant. Like the happy thing and the sad thing can be conjoined. It can be the same thing. Sometimes what is happy is because something that you overcome. So it's like, I worked really hard. I also made a lot of money. So that's like a cool, like, both and. So what gave you life this week? Take a moment to think about that. Any examples, any thoughts? I need, I need three answers before we move on. So I'm totally content if this is all that occurs in class today, just so you know. Okay. <laughs> um, just like being able to, this week I was able to see a lot more friends than I typically do throughout the week. Like playing 
and just being able to like do activities with them that weren't just like let's sit down and chat like let's go like I went rock climbing twice with two different sets of people and it was just I don't know it's the experience being out and about with someone that you don't necessarily get to have like one on one friend time with yeah that's always really I feel that way that always gives me a lot of life when I'm interacting with friends and it's like you said getting to go do something like actually live life instead of just passively sit around that's really cool any other thoughts That's cool. So where is home from you originally? Or where are they from? In high school, I lived in East Tennessee, so Knoxville area. OK. Cool. That's cool that they got to come visit you. It's fun how it pulls you out of your shell and forces you to do Nashville things. <laughs> One of my friends came last summer around the 4th, and we did all this Nashville stuff that we don't normally do. And I was like, this is a cool city, now that I kind of <laughs> realize it. Uh, all right. Hannah, share one. <laughs> Yeah, it's really cute. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's like, where did you learn this? Yeah, like every time you put her down for sleep, at the end of the day, you're like, I just don't want to see her for another like eight hours. <laughs> 12 maybe but then the moment she wakes up and you see her you're like oh you're so beautiful and then it's like it slowly like lessens as the day goes <laughs> like it, she's gonna like discover this podcast like 30 years from now and be like you said this about me a little ups and downs huh? all right so we're gonna look at matthew chapter 4 today so if you want to go and turn there matthew chapter 4 so we're, we're doing this exploration of joseph campbell's the hero's journey so last week we talked about meeting the mentor, um, and a lot of times I'm slightly overambitious in the things I want to talk to you all about. There's so many things that I find that are really cool and I want to share, and I realize that there just isn't enough time for that. But one of the things that I realized last week with the idea of meeting the mentor is the mentor's major job is to make the hero realize who they are. So one of the things that's really cool is if you read the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, Paul doesn't issue a single command. All he does is tell the people in Ephesus who they are. And then he begins moving towards, here's what you should do because of that. So the mentor's job is to be like, you always, like last week we saw the clip of the karate kid. And his job was to be like, you have always known kung fu, but you didn't realize it. And now you know. And now you can't unsee things. Now things are not the same. So after you meet the mentor, you realize, like, okay, this is who I am. And you really have this moment of you're saying, okay, now I have to go on whatever adventure it is. So we could call this like the first step, the entrance into the adventure. So in the Jesus narrative, I think that happens the best in Matthew chapter 4. This is probably to me the best example. So I'm going to read from the message version. It says, uh, and I like the way it, it starts off. It says, uh, the test is how this is subtitled. It says, next Jesus was taken into the wild by the spirit for the test. The devil is ready to give it. Jesus prepared for the test by fasting 40 days and 40 nights. That left him, of course, in a state of extreme hunger, which the devil took advantage of in the final test, in the first test. 
Since you are God's son, speak the word that will turn these stones into loaves of bread. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy, It takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. For the second test, the devil took him to the holy city. He sat him on top of the temple and said, Since you are God's son, jump. The devil goaded him by quoting Psalm 91. He has placed you in the care of angels. They will catch you so that you won't so much as stub your toe on a stone. Jesus countered with another citation from Deuteronomy. Don't you dare test the Lord your God. For the third test, the devil took him on a peak of a huge mountain. He gestured expansively, pointing out the earth's kingdoms, how glorious they are. Then he said, They're yours, lock, stock, and barrel. Just go down on your knees and worship me, and they're yours. Jesus', was, Jesus refusal was curt. Beat it, Satan. He backed his rebuke with a third quotation from Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God, and only him. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. The test was over. The devil left, and in his place, angels came and took care of Jesus' needs. So to get started, what are some of the things that you like notice about that passage? <laughs> I love beat it. Beat it. <laughs> that would have been awesome. That was going on in the background. So when you hear this story, like, and it's hard sometimes because we hear stories so often. Some of the stories we've heard, especially if you've grown up in the church, you've heard them over and over. So it becomes, you can become kind of numb to it. I call it a, the living at the beach effect. So whenever you go to visit the beach, you're always like, this is so beautiful. If I lived here, I would never grow dull of this. And then you live at the beach and you're like, you just one morning wake up and like fail to see how beautiful it is. <laughs> My wife says that doesn't happen. Uh, it wouldn't happen. <laughs> I would be different. <laughs> um, but you guys all know this, but not like you get a new car and you're like, this car is amazing. It's awesome. And you think you're always going to feel this way. And then like after a month, like, there's like fast food meals piling up and there's like the dirt on the floor and you're like, oh, this is what happens with my cars, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but you know, like things kind of like, what I'm saying is like you grow accustomed to them. So sometimes like reading the story in a different translation or even just looking at it just slightly different. So what are some of the things that you think of? Maybe some of the things that you've always brought up thinking about the story. that thought too about yeah if it was a literal test why it had to happen I like to so you know growing up when we watched Disney movies it was always really clear who the bad guy was and who the good guy was and the black guy was just very like black and white straightforward like he was just bad I think uh, we just saw the new Beauty and the Beast and Gaston is just 
purely despicable. Like you don't like anything about him. You don't admire anything about him. You're like you're a bad dude. You're like you're selfish, uh, and you're vain. All these other attributes. You're just bad. But now there's like this kind of trend where we like the bad guys to have some complexity to them. Like we want the bad guys to maybe not be all bad, or at least they understand the hero in a way. And I, I think that's one of the things that's so interesting about this passage is, like Lucas pointed out, the devil doesn't just like try to get him to do a bad thing. He tries to get him to do a bad thing and to justify the bad thing. And it's so interesting that like we all have this capability within ourselves. Have you ever realized that like we are masters at justifying whatever like bad habit or bad tendency? Like if it's like, you know what, like I'm going to watch like four hours of Netflix. And the reason is, is because I worked 10 hours today. Like we can always find this way of like justifying these subtle things. Like there's ways we do it and we find like, so it doesn't just come across as just like either or, but this like both and. We find a way to kind of twist it. And uh, the way this story is often portrayed like in the hero's journey, this is called like the first threshold. And so I think about Jesus is going to be tempted and tried and tested for the remainder of his ministry. And some commentators say that like, they all will come from one of these like root temptations. Um, so you think about what are, if you were to list some of Jesus' biggest miracles, what, did you, what would you think they would be? Like top two or three. Or how about we say this, if you could go back and see any of the Jesus miracles, which ones would you go back for? Loaves and fishes. Loaves and fishes. Why that one? I have always wondered about that one. Like, I just... You saw it, like, actually growing, or if there was just, like, never just didn't run out? Like, what? Yeah. I wonder what it looked like. Like, I always wonder if the, like, the, uh, like, apostles are all right around, and she's, like, kind of, like, turns, and he's just, like, passing it, and they're, like, where is this coming from? And he's just, like, handing off, like, just, just keep going, you know? Uh, and I think I love that story, too, because at the end of it, there's just an abundance left over. Like, in my mind, if, she, like if I was doing the miracle, I would be like, come on, like, can we, like are we going to get enough? And Jesus is like, I made too much. I'll just keep going. Like, you know, like, I'll just keep it up. Like, it's not like a showing off. It's just like this idea of like, I want you to know that I have an abundance. Like, I had more than enough, not this like scarcity amount. Um, so you have this like, so we've got that one. And that was the one like I was looking for because like the very first temptation is turning stone into bread. And then one of the biggest miracles is Jesus like feeding everyone else. You know, you see this idea. So I want to show you like several, we're going to watch uh, several clips today. All this idea of like the first threshold. I love watching movies. I love when movies do this. And so I'm showing you a couple clips from some of my favorite movies. But I want you to like see, because I think the movies capture what it feels like when you go over this first threshold. And then one of them is a commencement speech by Peter Dinklage, who's Tyrion in Game of Thrones. Have any of you seen this speech? It's like a clip. It's really good. It's really cool. It's really short. But uh, he just has some really cool points. And especially what I want to think. In the hero's journey, we've talked about the hero always has something really big happen to them that like throws them into this adventure. Um, But most of us don't really have that happen in our life. There's not like an asteroid that hits our town. And they're like, Andrew, you are the only hope to like save the city, you know, like they usually like we wake up and we go to our jobs and then like we come home and we like do whatever it is we go to sleep and we wake up and we find like in this kind of cyclical routine 
And yeah, like maybe there's something else offered. So I want to show you these clips because they capture this idea so well. So the first one is from movie uh, A Knight's Tale. It's my favorite movie. Silver pieces, three men can change their stars. God love you, William. <laughs> I know, I know. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so in this first this first clip, I love this idea. We'll go and watch the second one too. But I love because I was thinking of it this morning. Instead of seeing as like three different people interacting and arguing, I felt like it was such a good metaphor for the internal dialogue that often goes on in our head. Like you have like in your mind, you have like William who's like, come on, like what is this thing you want? Like we can go after, we can take it. And then you have like the very rational, like logic start 
part of your brain that's like, no, like we need to do this, we need to do this. Like, but it's that moment of where this character is like, I think I want to step out into something. But the other two offer resistance. You know, they show something different. I was curious, like, so often when you think of the hero's journey, when you think of your own life, what are the what are the major causes of resistance that cause you to maybe want to like withdraw or not step out and to do something big? So when you think of like a new task, maybe a, a new dream, you're like, I want to do this. What is it that you're afraid of that keeps you from doing this thing? What is the thing that causes you to be afraid? Being embarrassed or not safe. So like a, a risk. There's a risk factor. There's the pride factor. You might look foolish doing this thing. What other thoughts? Fear of failure. You might just land on your face. It might completely fail. Have you ever tried to create something and in your head you have this really brilliant, beautiful idea for what it is and then you start trying to make it and it just completely comes out totally different? Remember in high school, freshman year, we had to make, we had to make pottery and I had this really cool idea for this pot. It was going to have like vines and snakes going up and stuff and and then when it finally got made, it looked so bad. Like, I wish I had a picture to show you. But in my head, it looked perfect. And then trying to make it was so much harder and so much messier. It just didn't work. All right, let's look at this next clip. Okay, so since it pauses right here, um, oh well. So it's interesting. I love that it did pause right where the scene was that I want to talk about. So Sam gets to this point and then he stops. 
And the reason he stops is he goes, if I take one more step, it will have been the farthest that I have ever traveled outside of the Shire. So there's this really cool realization where he's like, there's this invisible line he sees that he remembers. This is the farthest I've ever gone. He goes, if I go any further, from here on out, it is unknown. Like, I have no idea what lies beyond this. And in one way, you're like, yeah, but it's clear you can see exactly what's coming for at least the next little while. But it's this very, like, powerful metaphor of this realizing it's like, okay, if I step here, I do not know what I'm stepping into. And sometimes in your life, you have this realization, you understand, like, the moments that are just going to be so much bigger than you could possibly imagine. I'm going to get this one ready so I can maybe... Um... So you have this realization that uh, some moments are going to change you most profoundly. So I remember when my wife and I got married, there was this realization of I was stepping into something that I did not fully understand, and there's no way I could possibly understand. And this past week, we were talking about how the first several years of marriage were really hard. Because in one way, you have a lot of expectations that are completely false, and then you have some ways of not truly knowing what to expect as things become realities. And it was just hard. But I knew, like, when we were exchanging vows, that I was stepping into something unknown, something big. I was like, this is a life-changing moment. I remember when, our, when my daughter was born, I remember holding her and thinking, like, life will never be the same. And it wasn't. And that's cool, and that's great. And there are those moments in your life that are like that. But then there's these moments that mostly just fill our everydays that are just ordinary, and they're bland, and they keep reoccurring. But it's all those ordinary little moments that you realize come and go, where things are changing, where you're stepping a little bit more into the unknown, where you're experiencing just a little bit more depth. One of my favorite writers, he says, mystery is not that which is unknowable, but that which is infinitely knowable. So are there any musicians in the room right now? Anybody that plays an instrument? Okay, so usually when you start with an instrument, you learn a lot of times the basics. And this can go with any type of thing you're doing. If it's rock climbing, or if it's sewing, or if it's writing, or if it's music. But you start with the most foundational basics. You'll start with learning the scales. But then you realize that like, upon learning the scales, there's an infinite number of combinations with those scales you can do to create music. There's an infinite number of combinations with the chords. And you realize that as you learn the guitar more, your mastery increases, but it also opens up the doors to how much there actually is to know. And you realize you can give your whole life to learning this instrument and never actually master it. There's something else learning. And that's what it is for mystery. That's what it is for the unknown. It's not that things can go unknowable. It's that when you go another level deeper, you're like, oh, wow, there's another level to this and another level to this and another level to this. And you start discovering this divine curiosity and also this divine contentment where you realize, I want to know more and more and more. But at every stage, you practice this contentment where you feel joy, you feel joy, you feel joy. And I love the way that he does this in the speech. Hopefully the video won't buffer. 29. I told myself the next acting job I get, no matter what it is, I will from now on, for better or worse, be a working man. At 29, walking away from the data processor, I was terrified. Ten years in a place without Maybe I was afraid of change. I got a low-paying theater job in a play called Imperfect Love, which led to other roles, to other roles, and I've worked as an actor ever since. Ray 
is the rest of your life to meet you. Don't search for defining moments because they will never come. The moments that define you have already happened and they will already happen again. You, you just get a bit derailed. But soon something starts to happen. Trust me. The rhythm sets in. Just try not to wait until, like me, you're 29 before you find it. And if you are, that's fine too. Some of us never find it. But you will. I promise you. Don't wait until they tell you you are ready. The world might say you are not allowed to. All right, so I really like that phrase that he used where it's like all the defining moments have already happened and they will already happen again. And I, it's just kind of a reoccurring thing that like we so often miss all these monumental little things that have happened over the course of our life because like they're already occurring. You know, I think of so many times where like, I'm like, how did I find myself here? It's like I said yes to this thing that said yes to this thing. And I, like, I, I'll just use like my personal example. So... I went to college, and I mean, it could even go further back than that, but in college, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so every summer, I interned with this local church with the students, and so finally, when I like, got out of college, I found the thing I enjoyed most was working with students, so I got a job as a youth minister out in Mount Juliet, a town that I had sworn I would never live in or go to, and then I found myself there, and while I was there, I tore my ACL, and I met this girl who I later married who became my wife. And after we got married, I worked at UPS. And while at UPS, I got this job at Harpeth Hills Church of Christ. And from there, I met Patrick Chappelle. And through being friends with Patrick Chappelle, after a couple of years, like, he asked me to come teach this college class. And now, like, now I am here interacting with you. And like, all these major defining moments, and I didn't even realize them at the time. And like, so often, I'll realize like, this thing that, and like, I've told some of my friends, like, if all I got out of Harpeth Hills was like, to meet Patrick, then that would have been like worth it. Like he's a great friend and I'm so glad to know him. But there's always something else. Like I said, the mystery continues to go just a little bit deeper. And so we talk about how I like to always end on a benediction and some sort of like challenge for the week. So one of my favorite people is Fred Rogers from Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. Uh, if you ever want to be inspired or just feel hopeful, just YouTube Fred Rogers and you'll find him saying something or giving some speech or saying something encouraging. Every morning when I wake up, I have a book. Hannah got me, and it's The World According to Mr. Rogers. 
and it's just little paragraphs and I'll just read once to start my day. And this is one of my favorites. And it gives me a lot of hope and encourage because what I'd like from you to take away from this class today is you don't have to go out and do these great things. In fact, there's a quote that says, um, we're not expected to do extraordinary things. We're, expe we're expected to do ordinary things with extraordinary love. And so there's this quote from Mr. Rogers. He was asked by a high school student. A high school student wrote to ask, what was the greatest event in American history? Mr. Rogers said, I can't say. However, I suspect that like so many great events, it was something very simple and very quiet with little or no fanfare, such as someone forgiving someone else for a deep hurt that eventually changed the course of history. The really important great things are never center stage of life's dramas. They're always in the wings. That's why it's so essential for us to be mindful of the humble and the deep rather than the flashy and the superficial. When I read this quote this morning, I thought back to this passage in, in Matthew chapter 4 as Jesus, and Jesus crosses that first threshold. You know, the adventure really starts. And what was it that Jesus is doing in the beginning of chapter 4 except the ordinary task of fasting, the ordinary task of being in the desert, the ordinary task of being by himself, just preparing, just getting ready. There's nothing flashy to the start of this passage. There's nothing amazing. It's probably the most ordinary and boring passage. Could you imagine a movie that started this way? The movie cuts to a man just sitting in the desert by himself with no food and nothing is happening. I think so often in our lives we get bummed out because we feel like nothing is happening. And I think so often what this is, is it's just a time of preparation. So when you just find yourself in that desert when nothing is happening, when you're bored, instead of trying to like entertain, instead of trying to like cause something, allow yourself to settle into that boredom. Allow yourself to go deeper into the mystery. Allow yourself to be present in that single moment. One of my favorite authors, she has this quote, and it struck me as I was walking up to class this morning. It says, I think God is damn angry every time we walk past the color purple and don't stop and pay attention. And as I was walking up the stairs, I just happened to look out the window and there's all these beautiful pink flowers and blossom. And I looked at it and then immediately just looked away for a second and I was like, wait a minute, look again. Maybe you missed it. And I just remember looking and I remember thinking, it's as if they're here just for me. And I was just thinking, how many people have walked past all these beautiful pink flowers and haven't paid attention to it? I mean, it's a firework of color right here. And we're all just walking like right past it. And the story of Moses is so interesting because you have this ordinary shepherd in an ordinary desert and he walks past this ordinary bush but this time it's on fire like this time it's different and so my challenge for you this week is i want you to look at all the ordinary moments you're in every time you're at like the cash register at work and you're checking out a customer like every time you're just like stuck in traffic and the light refuses to be green and your two-year-old is yelling go 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 <laughs> Like every time you're in one of those moments, instead of just trying to like look for something or entertain yourself or move on to something, just pause and like look. Because like there might be a whole world on fire and you might not even be realizing it. Like the ordinary, ex like explosive, life-changing moment, defining moment might be happening in that moment. And like we could be missing it. It's like we talked about last week. Like the key to every journey is just simply of waking up to the reality that you're already in. All right. You guys have a wonderful week.